0: Hi everyone, thanks so much for downloading Dark Histories. The podcast has been growing really well recently and that's thanks to all you good people who share it around with your friends and families. Before we start, I just want to throw out a few ways that you can help to support the show throughout the growth and keep it sustainable. We have a Patreon, an Amazon book list, a coffee, and an Audible affiliate link. So if you're interested in supporting, hopefully you can find a way to do so that suits you. All of the links for those various things can be found on the website over at darkhistories.com and of course just continuing to share it around with all your friends and families is a huge help. So thanks so much for all your help with that. Okay, let's get on with the show. On the night of February the 14th, 1945, the body of Charles Walton was found on a farm in Lower Quinton, Warwickshire in England. His throat had been slashed open, and the prongs of a pitchfork had been dug into the mud on either side of his neck, pinning his body to the ground. As leads on the case faded away, paranoia and superstition crept in, leading to theories of witchcraft and the occult, remnants of which linger still. This is Dark Histories, where the facts are worse than fiction. Hello, welcome. Season 1, episode 7 of Dark Histories. I'm Ben. And this week we're looking at the story of Charles Walton and the Pitchfork murder. It's a pretty fascinating story and one that's quite sad really. But it's been heavily hyped, I guess you could say, over the years. So that the story, a lot of the times that you read on the internet, is, is just nonsense. So yeah, I thought I'd take up the reins and and give the story pretty much straight instead which is not surprisingly no less interesting so let's get into it this is Charles Walton and the Pitchfork Murder Charles Walton was born on the 12th of May 1870 in 1945 he was 74 years old suffered from rheumatism and walked with the aid of two sticks despite this he was still undertaking light work on the local farms of Lower Quinton his life had been centred around the land, he had worked as a young man as a farm labourer and had earned the reputation of being a skilled horse trainer. His wife had died in 1927 and now, as a widower, he shared a rented cottage in the heart of Lower Quinton with his 33-year-old niece, Edith Walton, who he had adopted with his wife after his sister had died in 1915. Lower Quinton was a small rural community with a population of just 493 and Charles was well known in the village. Though he was thought of as something of a loner and there were those that regarded him as an eccentric whilst others viewed him with a mixture of suspicion and respect he was generally popular among the locals. For the previous nine months he had been working on a local farm known as The Furs, owned by Alfred Potter. Around 9am on the morning of February 14th Charles left his house to walk up to a field known as Hill Ground. It was part of the firs which rested on the slopes of an area locally known as Meon Hill. With a mind to trim the hedgerows, he left home with a pitchfork and slash hook, a long-handled, sickled-like instrument used for cutting and trimming foliage. As he passed through the churchyard, he was seen by two witnesses who were to be among the last people that would confidently record seeing him alive. At 6pm, Edith Walton returned to their cottage after her day's work to find it empty. Charles was usually home from work by 4pm, and he was a man of fierce habits. Therefore, she found it to be unusual that he hadn't yet returned. Beginning to worry that Charles had fallen ill, Edith visited her neighbour, another agricultural worker named Harry Beasley. Together, they walked up to the Furze farm, and they called in on Alfred Potter, the owner, Alfred confirmed that he had seen Charles earlier in the day cutting hedgerows up on hill ground, and all three walked up to the field, torches in hand, to see if they might find him. Alfred took them to the spot that he had seen Charles working earlier in the day, and after a short search, the party came across the body of Charles Walton, lying on the ground near the hedgerows. The scene was a grisly one, and it proved too much for Edith to bear. She began screaming loudly at the sight of Charles' body and Harry Beasley attempted to pacify her and pull her away from the scene. Charles's body lay sprawled on the ground, with his shirt unbuttoned. The prongs of his pitchfork were buried in the mud on either side of his neck, and the handle wedged into the hedgerows, effectively pinning the body to the ground. The slash hook was buried in his throat, leaving a wide gash across his neck that almost severed his head from his body. Searching nearby, the men found Charles' walking stick spattered with blood and matted hair. Whoever the killer was, he had used Charles's own stick to beat him severely before cutting his throat with his slash hook, killing him outright. As they were coming to terms with the horrific scene before them, a man named Harry Peachy passed by and after calling him over, the group enlisted his help in alerting the police back in the village. Harry Beasley accompanied Edith home who was clearly struggling to deal with the events, and Alfred Potter agreed to stand guard over the scene until the police arrived. The first policeman on the scene was PC Michael James Lemazny, who arrived at 7.05pm after responding to Harry Peachy's news reaching the village station. Members of Stratford-upon-Avon CID were later to arrive, as well as members of the West Midlands Forensics Team. At 11pm, Alfred Potter gave his first statement to the police claiming that he had owned the farm for five years and that he had known Charles for the entire time that he had been there, employing him on a casual basis for the previous nine months to trim the hedgerows around the various fields. In the morning, he had been in the college arms with Joseph Stanley, a farmer of White Cross Farm, and after leaving at noon, he had seen Charles working about five to 600 yards away in an adjoining field. He noted that there was around 6-10 yards of hedgerows left to cut and that, The body had been about four yards further on from the spot that he had seen him previously, which would be about half an hour's work. He described Bolton as an inoffensive type of man, but one who would speak his mind if necessary. The body was finally removed at 1.30am in the morning. One of the first observations noted by police concerning Charles was a missing pocket watch, that despite being carried with Charles religiously, was nowhere to be found on his body or nearby in the field. Whilst not expected to be worth very much, it was, at the time, the only tentative lead for a motive that the police had. The official autopsy report stated that Charles Walton had bruising on his ribs, chest and head, all of which matched his walking stick. His track ear had been cut. He also had several defensive wounds, suggesting that he put up as best defence as he could for a 74-year-old man. He had a cut on his left hand alongside bruises on his right arm and left hand. Almost immediately, the local police sent a message to Scotland Yard requesting help on the case. On the 15th of February, the deputy chief constable of Warwickshire sent a message requesting assistance, citing a nearby prisoner of war camp as a primary concern. The message read, The chief constable has asked me to get to the assistance of Scotland Yard to assist in a brutal case of murder that took place yesterday. The deceased is a man named Charles Walton, aged 75, and he was killed with an instrument known as a slash hook. The murder was either committed by a madman or one of the Italian prisoners who were in a camp nearby. The assistance of an Italian interpreter would be necessary, I think. Dr Webster states deceased was killed between 1 and 2pm yesterday. A metal watch is missing from the body. It is being circulated. The nearby camp was named Long Marston and it was situated two miles from the village of Lower Quinton. It housed both Italian and German prisoners throughout World War II, but by this stage of the war, as with many of the British camps, it had a rather relaxed view of security akin to modern open prisons. Many prisoners were encouraged to integrate into the local communities in a limited capacity, often working as labourers on the local farms. As is commonly the way, It is often an initial leap of logic to suspect an outsider, and so it was here in the tight-knit community of Lower Quinton. On the 16th of February, assistance from Scotland Yard arrived in the form of Chief Inspector Robert Fabian and his partner, Detective Sergeant Albert Webb. Fabian was one of the foremost inspectors of the generation, and he was highly respected. The pair were also joined by Detective Sergeant Saunders from Special Branch, a fluent Italian speaker who would act as an interpreter when questioning the Italian prisoner of wars. With the arrival of Fabian, the investigation begun in earnest, and despite Fabian writing in his later published biography that the people of Lower Quinton were cold and in some cases threatening towards the inspectors, even citing anonymous letters threatening Fabian directly along with his family, they managed to collect over 500 statements from residents of the village and the surrounding area. Edith Walton was interviewed by the police and she told them that she had lived with Charles since she was three years old after the death of her mother. Charles paid all the rent on the cottage as well as giving her a weekly allowance and supplying the households coal and meat. Along with his pension of 10 shillings a week and casual earnings from farm work, he had savings of 11 pounds and 11 shillings and 9 pence, money which had been left to him after the death of his wife. She also stated that Charles had left his purse at home on the day of the murder. Harry Beasley was also interviewed, and he stated, "'Potter had a reputation as a decent man to work for.'" Concerning the night of the murder, when the three walked up to Hillground and discovered the body, he stated that Alfred Potter had told him that he had seen Charles at work at 12.15 that day, and upon discovering the body, he was certain that Potter realised he was dead immediately the police took a second statement from Alfred Potter. He told the police that Charles Walton had usually worked on about four days each week, as long as the weather permitted. He said that he left it to Walton to say how many hours he had completed, and he implied that Walton was sometimes paid for hours he had not actually worked. When the police mentioned that they were hoping to take fingerprints from the murder weapons, he became angry, stating that he had in fact touched both the slash hook and pitchfork whilst discovering the body and that he had mentioned this to police previously. Detective Sergeant Saunders undertook interviews with the Italians and despite finding that the security of the camp was lighter than anyone expected of a prisoner of war camp, with the prisoners essentially being free to come and go as they pleased, no Italian connection with the murder was found and eventually the suspicions of the camp members subsided as no solid leads materialised, nor any motives. Becoming desperate, RAF planes were called in to photograph the entire village and the Royal Engineers swept the entire murder scene and surrounding area with mine detectors in an attempt to find any trace of the pocket watch, though nothing was found. As leads faded away, paranoia and superstition crept in. Many theories were put forward which still linger today, blurring the facts of the case and taking it in an even darker direction. Folklore and the pagan roots of the country are often heavily referenced in rural English communities and Lower Quinton was no exception. It was said that the devil attempted to throw a large clod of earth to smother a recently built abbey. The Bishop of Worcester noticed the devil and with the power of prayer altered the devil's aim, causing the earth to fall short of the abbey, which led to the formation of Meon Hill, the site of the firs. One year prior to the Charles Walton murder, there was a high-profile trial of a woman named Helen Duncan that invoked the Witchcraft Act of 1735. We can assume then that whilst uncommon, there was still some legitimate concern around pagan and folkloric beliefs at the time of the murder. Rumours began to circulate among the village and there was a minority that held Charles Walton with some suspicion. The fact that he kept toads led some to pass rumours that he had used them to sabotage the previous year's harvest. Others noted that he had an unnatural affinity with animals. It was well known that he had trained horses, but it was claimed by some that he could also tame wild dogs and that birds would often flock around him and feed from his hands and that they would even obey his requests to not eat the seeds from his plot of land. Despite no mention in the official autopsy and police reports, There were also rumours that a cross had been carved into his chest at the time of his murder. Upon his arrival, Fabian himself was presented with two strange tales of local history. Detective Superintendent Alex Spooner, head of Warwickshire CID, presented Fabian with a book published in 1929 entitled Folklore, Old Customs and Traditions in Shakespeare Land. The book contained a story of one Charles Walton, who in 1885 had seen the phantom black dog on the road whilst walking home from work for several consecutive nights. On the final night, he had seen the dog accompanied by a headless woman. Upon returning home, he found that his sister had passed away. Black dogs have long been a staple of British folklore, often signifying death and generally viewed as a dark omen, often with satanic associations. The second piece of local history presented to Fabian was the murder case of 80-year-old Anne Tennant in Long Crompton, just 15 miles from Lower Quinton. In 1875, she had been brutally murdered by a man named James Haywood with a pitchfork and slash hook, and then she was pinned to the ground in a way resembling Charles' murder. James Haywood later claimed that he killed the woman on the grounds that she was a witch. We now know, in fact, that the boyhood Charles Walton from the book was highly unlikely to have been the same person as the murder victim. No records have been found in any of the birth or death records pertaining to him having a sister who died in 1885. We also know the truth of the murder of Anne Tennant, and that it, in fact, did not hold many similarities at all to the murder of Charles Walton, except for the fact that Pitchfork had been involved in both cases. In reality, Anne had been attacked in front of several witnesses and died in her sister's house from injuries sustained by James Haywood, who stabbed her in the legs and head with a pitchfork. A slash hook was not involved at all. Whether or not Fabian took any stock in either story or the rumours surrounding Charles at the time of his murder is debatable. He makes no mention of them in any of his police reports. However, in his autobiography, published 25 years later, he refers to the case as the witchcraft murder. He also wrote of an encounter with the Black Dog whilst walking on Mion Hill one evening and makes several references to pagan lore and witchcraft concerning Charles Walton, going as far as to write, I advise anybody who is tempted at any time to venture into black magic, witchcraft, shamanism, call it what you will, to remember Charles Walton and to think of his death, which was clearly the ghastly climax of a pagan rite. Regardless of the veracity of any of the claims pertaining to witchcraft and folklore that surrounded the case, or the conviction of Fabian's belief in them, they have persisted throughout the years. Though it's worth mentioning that Fabian by this point was a renowned self-publicist. All told, the stories left a curious stain on the case, which remains unsolved to this day. One final twist to the case came in 1960, whilst clearing the outhouse of Charles Walton's cottage, his pocket watch was finally uncovered. Whilst the obvious thought would be that he simply left it at home on the day of his murder, some have argued that being a man of such renowned habit, this is highly unlikely. It's also known that the police undertook an extensive search of his house and the grounds, which turned up nothing. This has led people to theorise that his murderer had in fact returned at a later time to place the watch there, before slinking back into the shadows of anonymity. Lower Quinton remains as close today on the subject of Charles Walton as it was to Fabian in 1945. When talking with the BBC, the landlord of the College Arms, Tony Smith, said I can't talk to you about that. After 17 years of running this place, I know there are some things we don't talk about. Talking about it would upset people and there's no sense in alienating people in a small village like this. In cases like this, there's always someone that knows something. Someone knows what happened, but for the sake of relatives and for not upsetting people, no one will say. And thus, the murder of Charles Walton stays unsolved. A curious case which is deeply tangled in the local folklore, that of which it has itself become a part of. There we go, Charles Walton. It's a story that has, like I say, a lot of Mm, Should we say... Guff written about it on the internet. So we'll talk about some of that after these short ads. As mentioned at the start of the show, Dark Histories is an official affiliate with Audible, which is really great. I'm actually a member of Audible myself, so I'm really glad to bring in an advertiser that you know I actually do rate. For those that are not aware... Audible is an audiobook subscription service whereby you pay a monthly sub and you get a credit with each month to purchase an audiobook of your choice. When you cancel your subscription, you get to keep all your previously purchased book which you can access across devices from Mac, Windows, Android and iOS and they all stay synced up with one another. If this all sounds like something you might be interested in, hop over to audible.com forward slash dark histories and you can find a special offer. Sign up for a free month including your first credit, to purchase an audiobook of your choice. If at the end of the month you decide that it's not for you, you can cancel, not pay a penny, and you get to keep the audiobook from your trial, so it's literally a win-win. Thanks very much for suffering from my spiel, and once again, if it does appeal, head over to audible.com forward slash dark histories, or you can find the link on the support page of darkhistories.com. Cheers. Ads are a pain in the butt, right? Of course, you can hit that 30 second skip button, and that's all cool, but a much cooler way of skipping the ads is to sign up to the Dark Histories Patron. You get a bunch of different benefits for doing so, including ad-free shows, act-to-early release episodes, the full back catalogue of bonus episodes, including the live stream archive and all the other bonus content. You get access to all my research notes for each episode, and you get the added bonus that you're actually a part of the show helping to keep it independent and sustainable from as little as $1 a month. So if you think that might be something you might be interested in doing, hop over to darkhistories.com and you'll find the support page with all the details to get involved. Thanks very much for not skipping this and giving my hard sale a listen. Let's get back to the show. It's quite a fascinating case and it's completely unsolved but say so the things that i the thing that made me mostly want to make an episode about this and, and what i really wanted to address cuz you know i'm never going to solve cases on dark histories you know i'm not kidding myself but what i really wanted to address with this episode was just some of the guff that comes out in the blogs and other podcasts sometimes of you know this story and that's that he was sort of found with the cross carved into his chest and that it was all kind of related to folklore and stuff and Really it wasn't, you know, there was no cross found carved into his chest and the other murder really had absolutely nothing in common with Charles Walton's murder, almost at all, except from the fact that there was a pitchfork involved. That's literally it. And, you know, these are two things which are commonly kind of misrepresented, really, um, to sort of make the case seem more, oh, you know, witchcraft, which it doesn't really need that. Because you still got, at the end of the day, the kind of fact that it's an unsolved case and the policeman that sort of talked about it as being a pagan right. The thing you've got to say with that is that, like it sort of came about, he was a renowned self-publicist at this point and he was quite... He was A, he wrote it 25 years later, so his memory is probably not all that and he may easily have allowed rumours to cloud his own judgement. But also, you know, how much of it was he just making up to sell his book? So, you know, you can say those things. But at the same time, he still said it and it's still there and it, it's still something that's worth thinking about. But even if you take away all of the kind of witchcraftery kind of nonsense, or, you know, not nonsense because it doesn't have to be nonsense, but the kind of the stuff that clearly goes against the evidence... It's still an interesting case, which has never been solved, which in itself is, you know, it should be enough to to maintain interest without having to talk about him having crosses carved into his chest, for example. In the end, I feel mostly sort of sorry for Charles, who seemed like a really good guy, you know, seemed like he'd spent a lot of his life just trying to get by and sort of work hard and do his best. And that's kind of sad, really, that you know he was sort of his life was ended in such a brutal way, which it was brutal. You know, the actual murder was really violent. So, you know, who done it? That's that's a difficult question. I mean, there's so little evidence as to who actually done it. I don't think it was the prisoner of war. Like, I don't, I can't see a motive for that. They, they, although I don't know for sure, I can't see why they would do it. When most of them are probably just trying to keep their head down so they can go home. But then there's not really much of a motive for anyone else. Because nothing was really stolen. So, it's, yeah, it's a peculiar one. Say, like, I'm never going to solve mysteries on this podcast. It can be fun to speculate, right? But anyway, that's that's the pitchfork murder, really. We'll leave it there. If you'd like to contact me, contact at darkhistories.com is the email you can do so, Uh, we're on all social media, Twitter at Dark Histories, Instagram Dark underscore histories, Facebook Dark Histories podcast, and do remember we're Dark Histories, not Dark History, because there is another podcast called Dark History, which is totally my fault, I named this podcast without checking anything, but yeah, we are, you know, this podcast is Dark Histories, so make sure you search for that. It's basically the podcast with the butterfly on the front cover it's it's pretty it's pretty easy to find and the other one is three women so that's quite different to mine anyway so that's, that's kind of differentiates us quite quite easily yeah if you just go to darkhistory.com, you'll find links to every way of contacting me there and also for supporting on patreon if you'd like to do that um that would be great if not no worries We've also got a Discord server going now. If you're not sure what Discord is, basically it's kind of like a kind of forum or chat room where people come on and talk about the episodes and their theories and things like that. And everyone's really friendly and it's a really nice sort of little community. It's, you know, building. And I also do live streams on YouTube and they're all organised through the Discord. So if you'd like to come on the live streams or get involved in some way, through discord is the way to go about that so yeah jump on there again all the links and such are on the website so yeah that's that thanks very much for listening see you soon take care and sleep tight